This is Sarah Armstrong, your podcast host for the Stories in My Head. Welcome. This is episode three of Kitui and the Frenzel Lens. It's a story about bravery and slavery and adventure and risk and courage and love set in the Civil War South. So, let us continue. Last time we left Kitui, she and her husband Caleb were going into the forest to meet up with other slaves who were involved in the Underground Railroad. And they were going to a place they called the harbor. Let's listen and see what that's about. And we'll also see there are some really important events that are going to happen to both Kitui and Susan. Here we go. Episode 3, Kitui and the Frenzel Lens. In a few hundred feet, the forest opened into a large circular clearing. Kitui gasped, expecting to be bathed in moonlight, but the clearing was almost as dark as the forest. Looking up, she saw a thick canopy of branches covering the open space like a great green blanket. In the clearing was a large tent made of saplings and long branches covered with damp claws and quilts to muffle the sound and hide the light from the lanterns. Overturned buckets and kettles were scattered about to further absorb the noise. Inside the tent, crude benches fashioned from logs and tree stumps were used as chairs. Katui had heard of secret places where slaves met to dance, sing, and worship where they mixed the hymns of the white man with the songs in the expressive language of their African roots to inspire passion-filled dances, where they worshipped the Christ of the Bible and Nana Baluku, Obatala, and Olurum, the gods of their ancestors. It was a place of freedom in the midst of captivity, joy in the defiance of oppression, hope in the depths of despairs. This was a hush harbor. 
Slaves gathered in these hidden places to worship fellowship for a few hours and feel liberated. Just before dawn, they returned to their plantations to begin another day of hard labor and degradation. Even faced with a day toiling in the sun with no sleep, they returned filled with new hope and secret power. These were the places where planning was done. Who will steal away on the perilous escape route to the north? What acts of disobedience or sabotage will be carried out to break the brutal grip of the slaveholders? Who could be trusted? Which songs or signs will be used to transmit information and maintain connection? It was resilience. It was rebellion. It was resolved. Meeting in the Hush Harbor always included a ring shout. The ring shout was movement that contained elements of Christian and African worship. Shouters formed a circle and stepped counterclockwise as they sang and clapped. They differentiated themselves from other dancers by never crossing their feet. The haunting rhythms, humming, groans, swaying, and clapping were mesmerizing. As the night waned, voices lifted a new song, saying it was time to leave. Yonder come day, day is a breaking. Yonder come day, O oh my soul. Yonder come day, day is a breaking. Sun is arising in my soul. Sunrise, sunrise, O oh yonder. Sunrise, sun is arising in my soul. Yonder, 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 yonder. Sun is arising in my soul. Over the next months, Caleb shared details of meeting places, secret hiding places, and signals used by the rebel slaves. They committed to memories, ways through the swamps, obstacles, and hazards to avoid. Kitui absorbed and stored all of the knowledge she could. She relayed information to Caleb on weapons caches and movement of money. He wondered how Kitui knew so many details from just listening, but the information was so valuable he didn't ask any questions. They told Vesta what they were doing so she could look after Jacob during their excursion. She didn't like the idea of Kitui being involved, but do there was no point in objecting. One night, Taylor... Caleb took her to a grove of trees behind a farmhouse. A lantern shone dimly in the front window. Caleb took her hand and moved cautiously to the back door of the house. Katui gasped in alarm. It's all good. These are friends, Caleb reassured her with a smile. He knocked three times and whistled softly. A few seconds later, they were quickly ushered into the kitchen by a middle-aged white man. The men shook hands and embraced. Kitui was further startled as a white woman in night clothes entered the kitchen with a lantern 
and motioned them to come sit at the table. She patted Katui reassuringly on the shoulder and placed cups of steaming, steaming coffee on the table. Joshua and Evelyn Miller, this is my wife, Katui. Caleb smiled with pride. You can come to them, Katui, whenever you need help or have something to pass along. If there's a light in the front window at night or a blue quilt on the porch railing, it's safe. If there's no light or the quilt is red, stay away, he continued. Don't be afraid, Katui. We are here to help. Evelyn smoke, spoke in a soft, calm voice. All Katui could do was nod in acknowledgement. What news do you bring? Josiah asked as he got pencil and paper from a drawer. Caleb recited all the information he memorized. When Kitui added a few additional details, Evelyn stood in the shadows with a question in her eyes. Kitui forced herself to sleep each time Caleb left, but this night rest would not come. She was suddenly roused by a pounding on the door. Kitui opened the door and Pruitt pushed his way in. Where is Caleb? he demanded. Is almost light. He must be in the stables, Katui replied. Don't lie to me, girl. I'm not lying, sir. He got up early to get things laid out for the day. Just as abruptly as he entered, Pruitt turned and left. Two days passed with no word from Caleb, and on the evening of the third night, Dalton brought Caleb home. His body was in the back of a wagon. Kitui and Vesta rushed to remove him, and Pruitt came out of the house and stood over them. He was found with several other darkies helping slaves to escape. I was good to Caleb, and this is how I'm repaid, he shouted. Turning to Kitui, he was, Caleb denied your involvement with his dying breath. I know my daughter would never forgive me if I killed you, but someone has to be an example. Mr. Dalton will administer 25 lashes right here and right now. With a gleam of triumph in his eyes, Dalton dragged Katui to her feet, tied her to a fence post. He ripped the back of her dress open and whispered in her ear, I told that nigger he hadn't seen the last of me, and neither have you, girlie. Vesta shrieked as the lash cut into Katui's flesh. Tears of pain and grief filled her eyes, but Katui was determined she would not cry out. As she fell into the pit of unconsciousness, Katui looked at the kitchen door to see Pruitt hustle a pale, shaken Susan into the house. The next week was a blur of pain and agony. Visions of Caleb, Pruitt, Esther, Jacob, 
Dalton. Katui heard her own voice wailing and Vesta's comforting words through the ocean of pain and fever. But above all else, she felt a ball of rage growing in her heart and her mind. It glowed not with heat, but with cold determination. The first face that Katui focused on as she returned to consciousness was unfamiliar at first. He was a man with penetrating hazel eyes and thick curly black hair. His skin was tawny brown. His voice was soft but strong. It's good to see you, eh, Katui? Don't try to move too much. You are still very weak from blood loss and fever. Jacob, uh, Vesta, Katui croaked. They are fine and unharmed. Vesta took care of both of you, the stranger replied. Who are you? I am Dr. Jeremy Colby. I tend to all those who don't live in the big house. Kitui vaguely remembered seeing him in town and on the plantations treating various illness and injuries. Slaves were valuable like horses, so they had to be taken care of. But plantation owners paid Jeremy a monthly fee to see to the slaves. It was cheaper than what they called using a real doctor who attended to their family. Uh, Miss Susan has inquired about you regularly. She persuaded her father to allow you to return to working in the big house as soon as you are ready, he stated. Puzzled by Katui's silence, Jeremy asked, Does that please you? Yes, sir, Katui replied, hoping the contempt she felt didn't leak into her voice. The good thing about Pruitt allowing her to resume her old duties was that she could continue gathering information. She wouldn't allow Caleb to die unavenged. As though reading her thoughts, Jeremy said, I am sorry about your husband. I lost my wife and daughter in childbirth, so I know some of what you are feeling. Life is not easy, but it is always worth living. He left, closing the door behind him. Kitui was stunned that he even cared about how she felt. As Kitui recuperated, her head was filled with plans. She had to reconnect with the spies. Dalton watched her every move. Maybe when she went back to work, she'd find a way. One evening, as they sat by the fire, Vesta put down her mending and asked, you feel in regret because you didn't share your secret with Caleb? Katui looked startled. What secret are you talking about? I know you can read and write, Katui, Vesta said emphatically. How did... Vesta chuckled. I wonder why it always took you so long to dust the library. I peeked in and saw you scribbling on bits of paper and lost in the books. I did my best to keep watch. You'd go straight to the stable afterwards and 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 hide your treasures. And I'm pretty sure you burned those papers later. Katui nodded in agreement. I didn't tell Caleb he would have worried about me. I felt bad about the things I had to keep from her, but I thought it was the best. 
I even stopped hiding things in the barn so he wouldn't get involved at all. Don't worry, Charles. He knew you were smart and brave. He knew you loved him and Jacob with all your heart. He knew every lash you took for him. Vesta pulled Katui into her arms and rocked her to sleep. Dr. Colby came twice a week, and she looked forward to his visits. Jacob was curious about the instruments in the medical bag, and Jeremy patiently explained everything he did. Katui listened and observed, occasionally asking a question of her own. He even taught Katui how to clean and dress a wound or set a broken bone, using a giggling Jacob as the patient. Several times Jeremy asked Katui to help him tend to other patients and keep an eye on them between visits. She often found him looking at her quizzically, and Katui took extra care not to reveal her hidden abilities, but sometimes her excitement went learning New things was hard to contain. The bite of fall was in the air as the lone figure left the quarters and walked toward the plantation house. Kintui fought to control her emotions as she entered the kitchen. This was her first day back at work. Her back was healed and her anger controlled as she patiently waited for her chance to exact revenge. Vesta's Parting words rang in her ears. Caleb was like my son. I loved him as much as you did. He knew the work you are doing is dangerous, but he wanted us all to be free. You have a strong, good heart. Risk your life to bring freedom, not to avenge a wrong. Know that I will always care for Jacob, no matter what. Having been told that Master Pruitt wanted to see her, Kitui took a deep breath before tentatively knocking on the stugger door. Come in, Pruitt's booming voice commanded. You wanted to see me? Kitui spoke softly and kept her eyes lowered. Yes, I hope you realize how fortunate you are. It is only because of my charity and goodwill that you are still alive. Had it not been for Susan, I would have gone much worse for you. I hope you've learned your lesson. He seemed quite pleased with himself. Kintui gripped her fists behind her. Fortune, charity, goodwill. The words felt like being whipped again. She took a deep breath before she replied. Yes, master, was all she could muster. You can go now and tend to Susan, he ordered. Kitui turned to leave. Wait, girl. Dr. Colby spoke to me about you. Kitui froze and then turned to face Pruitt. Had the doctor seen something? Did she give something away? Pruitt continued. He said you were very helpful tending to patients. He wants me to allow you to tend to the sick between his visits so he doesn't have to come so often. I agreed to the arrangement. Also, since Susan won't need you much longer, I might allow you to accompany him on some of his rounds to other plantations. I'm grateful, Master. Thank you. Katui found her voice, turned and left.
Katuya almost fainted as she leaned against the door before heading up the steps to Susan. What did Pruitt mean by Susan wouldn't need her most longer? She rushed up the stairs. Susan greeted Katui with a hug. That happened hadn't happened since they were children. Katui went slightly at the pressure on her back. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, Susan gasped. It's just a little tender, Katui replied. Susan began to pace. And so gathering her thoughts, I've been around slaves all my life. I've watched and listened to how they have spoken to and about it. I never thought twice about it. My father said they need to be kept in line for their own good. If left to their own devices, they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves. Kitui stood silent, unsure how to respond. When I heard about Caleb, I knew Daddy would do something to keep things under control. I asked him not to hurt you, but he said there was no other way, even though he didn't believe you were smart enough or brave enough to be involved in anything like the Underground Railroad. Katui had to smother a smile. If you only knew how smart I really am, or the depth of my courage, Katui thought. She had heard all this condescending talk from the Pruitts that she could stomach. Don't worry, Miss Susan. I'll be just fine. None of it was your fault. You have given me more than you will ever know. Kitui quickly changed the subject. Master Pruitt said you wouldn't be needing me much longer. What did he mean? Susan moved over to the door, opened it, and checked in both directions down the hallway and closed the door securely. Sitting down close to Katui, Susan whispered with an air of disgust, My father has committed me to marrying David Beasley. We held the engagement party when you were sick. The wedding is to be on New Year's Day, about two months from now. Daddy seemed to be anxious to combine forces with the Beasley. He keeps talking about war and secession or some such Susan continued, he even agreed to have the ceremony at the Beasley Mansion. Katui tried not to show her excitement. This was news the Union needed to know. All the prominent plantation owners and farmers are meeting at the Beasleys on Sunday after church to discuss details. I don't understand it all. I just know that I am committed to marry a man I cannot abide. Susan wailed. Susan began to sob, and Katui reached out to comfort her. Miss Susan, there's nothing much you can do but accept it. Susan reined in her crying and leaned even closer to Katui. I have found someone, Katui. He's strong and brave and independent. The other owners don't like him. They say he and his family are northern sympathizers, unionists, they call them. Kasui saw the sparkle in Susan's eyes and heard the passion in her voice. Who is this man, Miss Susan? Susan leaned in closer. I need you to come riding with me tomorrow after breakfast. Yes, ma'am, Kasui replied. They had often gone riding before, but somehow Katui knew this time was different.
It was a beautiful, brisk morning when they set out. The horses were waiting, and Katui felt a twinge of sadness as she recalled how Caleb taught her to ride and handle horses. Mr. Pruitt strode into the stables, frowning. Susan, I don't like you going out on these rides. Oh, Daddy, I'll be fine. Katui's with me, and she knows as much about horses and trails and paths around here as anyone. Don't be such a futz budget. Besides, KT is a great horse. She has hard, but is gentle. You chose her for me yourself. You even gave her, her the pet name you call Mother. Susan had a smile in her voice. Just because I worry about you, besides your fiancé is coming to call this afternoon at three. I want you to be rested and looking your best, he bellowed. I'll be back in time. With that, Susan wheeled her horse out of the stable with Katui on her heels. They rode along the river, which was the border of the Pruitt land, and the Beasley plantation began on the opposite bank. The river meandered off in countless creeks and bayous along its path. They followed the waterway for several miles, then snuck off across the countryside to a secluded clump of trees. As they approached, Katui could see a horse and a man waving as they approached. Susan spurred her mount to the gallop, leapt from the saddle and into the man's arms. Katui stayed some distance away and observed Susan in a passionate embrace and kiss with the young man. Katui had seen almost all the plantation owners in the area while traveling with Caleb or when they came to the meetings for parties. Searching her memory, she put a name with the face, Gregory Arsenault. He was tall with a slim body. His medium-length blonde hair curled behind his ears. His eyes were clear and blue as he scanned Katui with suspicion. Why did you bring her? Gregory asked. Don't worry, Katui won't say a word, Susan assured him. Katui stayed a respectable distance away while the couple talked, kissed, and embraced. And after several hours, she approached them. Miss Susan, we have to get back. Your father will be expecting you. There are visitors coming. Reluctantly, Susan broke away from a long embrace, and the women rode away. Katui looked back and saw the man staring after them, riding off in the opposite direction. There was no time for talking on the way home. They pushed the horses to get by, sneak Susan up the back stairs, and be dressed and ready when David Beasley arrived. Katui's curiosity was piqued, but more pressing was the need to get the information she learned to Caleb's cohorts. Dalton watched her closely, so sneaking away was not possible. The next day, a possible solution appeared. Susan informed Katui that she would be accompanying her father to the Beasleys on Saturday. Mrs. Beasley, knowing that Susan had no mother to help her with the matting plan, arranged for them to spend several days together planning and going to shop for fabrics and doing dress fittings. Of course, Katui was to go also. 
Near the wash pot in the corner was a wooden box filled with pieces of fabric and discarded clothing. Discards from the plantation were used to make quilts and blankets and children's clothes. Twice a year, yard goods and new liveries for the house staff were provided. Very little went unused. After making sure she was unobserved, Katui found a worn but usable pair of boots, a long sleeve shirt, black pants, and a waist-length jacket. A wide-brimmed hat with a chin strap completed the outfit. This would be perfect for scouting activities. She would put them in the bundle with her livery and other items usually taken when traveling. When they arrived at the Beasleys late Sunday afternoon, Susan was whisked off to the parlor by Mrs. Beasley to begin choosing wedding colors and making a shopping list for their trip to town tomorrow. They were joined later by David Beasley, who pecked Susan respectively on the cheek. He was a pale, thin young man whose entire vocabulary seemed to be, Yes, mother. After dinner, Susan retreated to her room, exhausted. I've spent the whole day making Ava Beasley believe I was excited about marrying her son. I don't know what I'm going to do. She whined and fell back across the bed. You have to do what Master Pruitt wants. Not much choice, is there? Katui replied. No, I guess not. Susan said with a sigh. Kintui hoped her impatience didn't show as she helped Susan put on her nightgown and robe. She needed to be at her post. There was an unlocked storage shed just underneath the steady window. She was sure Caleb was proud of her remembering all he taught her about secret listening places. Kitui went to the kitchen to make Susan some hot tea. While she was in the pantry, one of the serving staff pressed her hand and whispered, This is for Miss Susan. Kitui reached out and slid the envelope into her pocket. She prepared the tray, added a headache powder, and hurried back upstairs. There was no chance to examine the contents of the envelope. Susan was staring out of the window when Katui returned, and after pouring the tea, she slipped the envelope out of her pocket and moved close to Susan. This is for you. It was passed to me in secret. Susan's face brightened briefly, but she quickly regained her solemn look. Thank you, Katui. You may go, ma. Yes, ma'am. Good night, Katui replied. As she closed the door, Susan ripped open the envelope and her eyes devoured the contents of the letter. Well, Katui isn't the only one with secrets. Susan, 
is involved in a romance with the son of a union sympathizer. What would her father do? He's got her engaged to David Beasley. Somebody she can't stand, by the way. But Katu is still determined that she's going to find a way to keep passing information to the contacts that her husband Caleb had and that she is going to avenge his death and she is going to avenge the whipping she took from Cyrus Pruitt. The plot thickens. We're also introduced to the doctor, Jeremy Colby who is kind of taking Katui under his wing and is teaching her how to take care of patients. And she's made such an impression on him that Pruitt has allowed that she can go with him on some of his rounds. Wow. I wonder where that's going to lead. We'll soon find out. Join us next week for episode four of the stories in my head. Please reach out and contact me if you have questions or want to make a comment or just to say hello. I appreciate you. See you next time.